Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we had historic voter turnout. The vote counting continues, but the race has been called. Uh, The electoral vote count appears to um, very clearly prove out that the Democratic Party candidate, Joe Biden, um, has been elected president of the United States. Now, I recognize that that is uh, being questioned and contested, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, with Adam Carrington. But here's what I want to do. I want to take what the headlines are giving us, and I want to apply the mind of Christ, and I want us to be prepared to get God back into the conversation today about this so that we're not just, uh, you know, ranting one direction or the uh, the other about politics, but we're actually Christians in the conversation on behalf of Christ. So here's the headline that I want to lift up in relationship to this, and then I want to take a a couple of minutes to unpack. The headline uh, is, you know, Joe Biden gave his first speech as president-elect. Now, don't get caught up in whether or not you think that, that that's all legit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to actually consider what Joe Biden said in his speech, and I'm going to lift up a couple of uh, paragraphs towards the end of the speech. Here's what he said. Um, it captures the faith that sustains me. So this is his pivot to make a uh, to talk about his own faith— in the speech that he gave. I want you as a Christian to not miss this. Joe Biden said, it captures the faith that sustains me, which I believe sustains America. And I hope, I hope I can provide some comfort and solace. So this is what uh, he said just before reciting these words from a hymn that you will recognize. He recited these words, uh, and he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of the dawn, make you to shine like the sun and hold you in the palm of his hand. My guess is you recognize that verse um, of of the hymn. The question is, do you recognize the scripture verse that it comes from as Isaiah 40, 31? And then do you recognize the context of Isaiah 40? And do you recognize the messianic, prophetic, redemptive story that is declared by God in Isaiah 40, does Joe Biden have any idea what he did when he lifted up verse 31 from Isaiah 40 uh, in his acceptance speech or his first speech as uh, president-elect of the United States? Joe Biden ended with this, and now together on eagle's wings, we embark on the work that God and history have called upon us to do. So for my part, friends, uh, I intend to become Joe Biden's accountability partner in actually walking that out. Because the eagle's wings that are referenced in Isaiah 40, 31 um, are wings that uh, are, are mounted up for people who have waited upon the Lord. 
for people whose strength has been renewed in the Lord, for people who have um, laid themselves in acknowledgement of their sin before God and awaited his redemption, that's who gets to mount up on eagle's wings, according to Isaiah 40, verse 31. The Bible verse that Joe Biden referenced is Isaiah 40, 31, and it reads, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's the walk-off verse of one of the most profound chapters of the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40, a chapter about God's deliverance of his people from exile in Babylon, a chapter about redemption based on the return of God's people to him, a return of God's people to, to the word of God. Isaiah 40 is a powerful chapter of Scripture, and we should use the fact that Joe Biden publicly referenced it. He established it as the foundation verse of his presidency. Isaiah 40 begins with God speaking comfort over a people who recognize and repent of their sin, a people who are raised up as if on eagle's wings by a God who forgives and restores. Isaiah 40 begins, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. It goes on to talk about the voice that cries out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. This is an advent, the advent, the coming of God. The, the, this is an incredible chapter of Scripture. In this chapter of Scripture, it talks about the God who stands forever. All, gra- all flesh is grass. Uh, and, and as uh, all beauty, like the flower of a field, the grass withers, the flower fades. But the breath of the Lord blows on it, and surely the people are grass. What comes next? That's the verse you know. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Joe Biden is referencing a chapter of Scripture in which the people of God are restored because they return to the word of God, and the word of God gets restored to its rightful place in the life of a nation, and then the nation is restored to its rightful place as God's uh, agent in the world. Joe Biden laid claim to a verse of Scripture in a chapter of Scripture that is all about the people of God returning to God and then God restoring their nation. I, I, I think that I, I mean, I am hoping that he knew exactly what he was doing in referencing that verse. I suspect he did not. All right, you've got to read Isaiah 40 today. I don't have time to read it in its entirety right now. Um, But let me just tell you, this is an incredible opportunity for you and I to use a headline that the world has given us and get God back into the conversation of the day. Adam Carrington and I are going to sort of parse out the politics of it all next. All right, joining me now, Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, why don't we just do a little bit of where do things stand as of this morning? Right, it's obviously a moving target, it seems, all through the weekend and before. So right now, the the networks have themselves called the race for Joe Biden. Now, that obviously has no legal obligation. States will later do that. However, it does have a lot of PR uh, uh, power. And what that normally means is normally a a 
news organization will call a race or call a state when they're about 99 or more percent positive of the result. Now, th there are enough states where Biden is considered that by the networks for them to say the race is over, but we're still not sure about three states, the states of Arizona, uh, Georgia, and North Carolina. And what's going on in those are in Arizona and North Carolina, they have more ballots left to count than the difference between the candidates, even though I'm pretty confident Arizona, where Biden's leading, will still go to him. North Carolina, where President Trump is leading, will probably go to him. And Georgia, it's just because it's so close. It is 0.2% of a difference, a mere 10,000 votes between them. But as of now, even if all those three states went to one person or another, it still wouldn't change the result based on the other states. So that's where we are as far as the numbers counting. And then obviously we could talk to there's possible there, there's lawsuits going on. There's other things about trying to figure out whether this count is perfectly accurate. Uh, but as of now, what's most likely is we're going to have the states, whoever's leading right now is most likely to be leading after we get uh, done with the original count. Because it's not like it's 270 uh, and 268. It's it appears <laughs> exactly. that it's, it appears that the that the gap is um, wider than that at this point. And so even if the president were to prevail in some of these uh, arguments related to vote counting irregularities in particular states, um, the number of states where there would have to be a reversal is now so great um, that I just think we have arrived at the place where overturning a Biden victory is is so highly unlikely that people need to not be putting their hope there. I would say, yeah, a couple things about that to reinforce what you said. And again, this isn't I know a lot of people are some people are happy, some people are frustrated. But as far as just looking at it, this is not like 2000 in Florida. Thousand for those who remember, there was one state that was up in the air and it was a Oh. Reverse okay. the results. I, well, I don't know. He seems he's oh. he, you are fluttering in and out, Adam. So, um let's do this. Let's take a very brief break. Oh. We're going to reconnect with Adam Carrington when we come back. We're going to pick up our conversation with him. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. All right, Adam, let's um, let's pick up where we were um, just a moment ago. But then I also want to talk about the new Congress taking shape. So maybe make some summary comments um, related to uh, where we are uh, in the challenge process um, about vote counting irregularities. Right, right. And thank you. Sorry for that. Uh, no, technical no, it's good. Glitch. It's not your fault. Uh, we, um, yes, it, it, I was just saying, uh, and I don't know how much everyone caught that, you know, Florida is different than now. 
you need three states results to be over to be changed from where they are now and you don't need a few hundred votes in every state it's thousands if those who remember back in 2016 there were recounts where the democrats were trying to not through lawsuits, but through recounts, changed the results in some of the closed states. It didn't happen, so I think it's very unlikely. A lot of these legal challenges, one, haven't been able to produce a whole lot of concrete evidence of fraud so far. We need to look at them all. But the second is most of them really aren't lawsuits that are challenging enough things that they would actually overturn the election. So it really does look like President Biden will be officially certified the president-elect. We need to play the process out. We need to be careful, make sure every legal vote's counted, make sure that all the challenges, that there aren't any uh, legitimate lawsuits that need pursued. But that looks like it's going to be the result, uh, barring some very extraordinary circumstance. All right, Adam, let's talk about um, the new the new Congress that's taking shape, because um, there was not just one individual uh, who we voted for when we went to the when we went to the polls. Um, You know, we voted for members of Congress. We voted for members of the U.S. Senate. Let's talk a little bit about the new Congress. Right. So Democrats were expecting to do very well and did not on in, in the congressional elections. We don't know all of the races yet. Some of them are still uncalled. But the basic outline is it looks like we're going to have 50 Republican senators and 48 Democrats with two runoff elections in Georgia. So we get more elections for those who haven't had enough. Although I I tend to think those will probably, one or both of those will go Republican, meaning the Senate will probably be Republican. And then the House uh, will still be Democrat, but it will be by a narrower margin. In fact, it'll be by a fairly narrow margin. So we'll have a a, probably a, a Democrat president, a very narrow Democratic House and a very narrow Republican Senate will be the composition of the elected branches of government when when the dust clears in all likelihood. Which means political gridlock and um, a, a check on anybody's attempt to do anything particularly radical. And so I think the markets, we see the markets responding positively to that. They seem to like gridlock. Um, let's talk about this case that is in front of the Supreme Court This is a case we have been following. Um, It's out of Philadelphia, and it's related to adoption. So remind us what this case is about and, um, and what's happening at the Supreme Court in relationship to it. Right. Uh, the, the center of the political world seems to be Philadelphia right now. And it, 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 this case results— there's, there's a bell there with a big crack in it. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, there is. A, a People should go bell, see actually. Independence Hall. Yeah, it's a, an yes. amazing place. Okay, I, yes. I digress. They, they, the, the, the case has to do with Catholic adoption services in the area. So for a very, very long time, the uh, Catholic Church has been involved in adoption services, placing children that need a, a, a good home with, with families. And in the aftermath of the Obergefell decision, recognizing a right to same-sex marriage, the city of Philadelphia said, we will not refer children for adoption to agencies that will not at least consider placing them with same-sex couples. The This Catholic adoption agency said, 
we won't, given the teachings of, of the Catholic Church. And so they've been excluded. They have sued based on religious liberty grounds, saying that the First Amendment, the Free Exercise Clause, protects them. And what happened on Wednesday, the day after the election, is the Supreme Court heard the oral arguments. So this is the one chance where the lawyers can get in front of the judges and speak to them to make their case. And we can sometimes get a little bit of an idea where the case might be going in listening to those. They actually make the audio and the transcript available. This is also one of the first, one of the first cases that Amy Coney Barrett, the new justice, has sat on. And it's it's very interesting. I, I was listening to the arguments. These were two hours long. There was uh, they took extra time, and it it seems to me that. The uh, Catholic Adoption Services is ha, has gotten a very sympathetic ear from the justices. The other interesting thing is on what basis, if they win, would they win on because of all the other religious liberty claims coming up? And the court is either going – the court seemed to be wobbling between a more narrow decision where there were very particular things about the Catholic adoption case that made them win, kind of like Masterpiece Cake Shop. Or going big and laying broader groundwork for a lot more exemptions and a lot more protections for religious liberty. It seems that the Catholic Adoption Services will win. It was not clear to me how wide standing it's going to be. I think that's going to be a debate that's going to go on in chambers. So keep your keep keep watch. This isn't going to come out till probably May or June, but it could be a really big one because a lot of issues about how we balance the new recognized rights in sexual orientation and the old and the permanent rights of religious liberty are really going to be at stake and really being worked out in this case. I think this is one of those cases that um, Christians need to, must enter into the public conversation uh, about in their own communities. We need to be talking about our theology of adoption we needed to be talking about the reality of each and every one of us being adopted into uh, the family of faith. We become children of God, not because we are uh, born as image bearers, which is true of everyone, but because we are adopted into the family by God's grace through the redemptive act of Jesus Christ. Adoption is our thing. This is our. This ought to be a pro-life conversation that people of faith are fully equipped to have in the marketplace of ideas today. And we ought to be able to say, we're really good at this. We are really good at um, at knowing how to take people who are disconnected from family and weave them in. Um, we know how to do this because this is who we are. This purpose in the culture grows out of our identity as people who are adopted. Um, I don't hear that argument being made, and I think I'd like to hear it. Right. And I think that's where you've got people have to understand. I do a lot of constitutional law and there's a lot of legal arguments being made. And I think as Paul did in in, in the book of Acts, Christians should assert their right, legal rights. And he did as a Roman citizen. And I, that's what they're doing here to assert their legal rights. But I think you're right that you don't just assert, you shouldn't just assert to the public that you have a right. You do that in court, but you should assert to the public why you are fitted to do that work well, why that mm -hmm. right was given to you in the first place. And I think you said that very well. We are all adopted sons and daughters of God if we are part of Christ's church. 
and that we should say that what the Constitution recognizes is, as you said, we have a particular understanding and way of knowing how family works, knowing how family loves, and that we should therefore have space to be part of doing this very important work for children. Absolutely. I um, I think it's just critical. So thank you for helping us understand what's happening there. Really appreciate it. Um, Adam Carrington, as always, thanks for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint. Let us be a people of prayer. Uh, and let us be praying with and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and let us be praying in one accord. And let us be praying to the glory of God. And let us be praying that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that starts with you and me. Let us be praying today that God's will be done in our lives. And then through us as an extension of his grace in the world to others. All right. Uh, I want to make a note here um, about uh, what's going on in relationship to China, because there's something happening today that I think tomorrow we're going to want to talk about. <clears throat> and so I lift this up to you today. Um, in April, China was named to the five-member UN Human Rights Council. And then in October, uh, China, which let me just remind you, is one of the most notorious human rights violators in the world, won a coveted seat on the 47-member um, UN Human Rights Panel. Now, others on that panel uh, now include Russia and Cuba and Saudi Arabia, alongside Venezuela and, uh, and Eritrea. The, when you take those together, China, Russia, Cuba, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and Eritrea, you're talking uh, about uh, UN member nations that do not meet the UN's own minimum standard for human rights, and yet they now sit on the UN Human Rights Council. So today, why this is why I bring this up. Today, the uh, UN Human Rights Council is going to sit in judgment over the United States of America and our human rights record. I feel confident we're going to be talking about it tomorrow because um, I feel pretty confident that China intends to blister the United States uh, in terms of a human rights record. And with what's going on with the Uyghur population, I just it's just one of those things that we need to be praying for the U.S. representative who's literally going to be in that hot seat today um, and our nation under real scrutiny um, by those who really, frankly, aren't in a position to scrutinize. All right, that's enough said about that. David Aikman is going to be here next. We're going to talk about global news. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. Jesus told them to roll the stone away. He offered a prayer of gratitude. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out with his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. The resurrection and the life issued a command into the cavern of death. Somewhere in heaven, an angel heard the familiar voice of the shepherd and smiled. Somewhere in hell, a fallen angel mumbled, oh no. And Lazarus he didn't want to go back to earth, of that I'm certain. But when Jesus commands his disciples obey, of that Lazarus was certain. Don't miss the message of this miracle, my friend. You are never alone. Jesus meets us even in the cemeteries of life. Whether we are there to say goodbye or to be buried, we can count on the presence of God. This is Max Lucado. 
My name is Bond, James Bond. Joining me now, David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. Welcome back, sir. Happy Monday morning. Thank you, Carmen. And the same to you. If you managed to survive the previous week, so congratulations. <laughs> yes, our, um, our, our survival rate is very high in terms of making peaceful transitions of power, even when we deeply disagree with one another over here. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, let's talk about um, the the I'm going to say rise in um, the resurgence of radical Islamic uh, terrorism in Europe. Bring us uh, bring us up to date. Well, there have been several incidents recently. Uh, for example, a stabbing attack in in Nice and uh, a uh, a shooting attack in Lyon, and just violent actions by people who should not have been in France in the first place and who made trips to obtain ammunition and weapons. And in the case of the Austrian shooting, um, the Austrians were warned by Slovakian people that this guy was on the loose and he'd tried to buy weapons and ammunition and they paid no attention to it. So it's a real failure of intelligence agencies to cooperate with each other to try and stop the spread. I just, uh, I'm, I'm horrified by, you know, the headlines that we see in relationship to this and just recognize, David, that um, so many of these things now play out in real time on, uh, on social media platforms. And I'm just, I'm just sensitive to, um, I'm just sensitive to how fearful that makes people. And that's really, uh, you know, in addition to the horrendous effects that it has on the individuals and their families and friends, it does have a terror spreading effect because of social media. And and that's really what terrorism is all about, disrupting our lives in such a way that we're fearful to uh, to enjoy the freedoms of of Western civilization, and so just I just want to continue to highlight all of that with you. Let's um let's also talk about Europe versus Turkey. Lay out for us um the developments in in this story. Well, Turkey has an Islamist president Erdogan, Islamist prime minister, who has moved his country in a steady direction away from the secular. Uh, republic that it was started under Mustafa Kemal Ataturk. And he has objected to France's outspoken opposition to the spread of Islamist movements in Europe. And he's actually campaigning against France's policy because he claims that they're anti-Muslim. But in fact, the president of France, Macron, Emmanuel Macron, is expressing the sentiment of many Europeans that the immigrants who are flooding Europe from North Africa particularly are increasingly dangerous uh, recruiting uh, fodder for Islamist groups. And the European countries have not have not orchestrated an effective policy against that, 
or indeed how to deal with Turkey, which, as you know, has been trying to join the European Union for years and has been kept at bay by suspicion on the part of many European countries. David, um, the developments in Turkey are um, are very, very troubling. We're also seeing a, a rise in ISIS resurfer- resurfacing in some places. Talk with us about what's going on in Iraq. Well, there's been a resurfacing of ISIS and the number of murders and uh, acts of terror against the population around Baghdad. And ISIS has claimed responsibility for it and has basically trumpeted its desire to completely reverse the democratic development of of Iraq in its new guise after the Gulf War. So ISIS is really a major danger within Iraq because it seems to be assisted, perhaps, we don't know for sure, but perhaps by Iran and maybe even uh, by groups in Syria. So it's a dangerous uh, a dangerous clog in the machinery of Turkey's relations with every other part of Europe and also with Iraq's ability to maintain a successful, self-sustaining democratic government. We're going to pivot um, with David Aikman here in just a moment to to news in another part of the world, and that is Belarus. We will also uh, talk about Europe and what is going on with COVID and new shutdowns there. So those headlines up next here with David Aikman. we got to take a brief break, and then we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. David, let's pivot to Belarus. I think the last time that we talked about what was going on in Belarus, you know, it was just in the days following their election. Um, And so tell us what has happened since then and bring bring us up to speed. Well, there's been weekly demonstrations ever since then because the vast majority of the population seems to believe that the elections were fraudulent and that Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, cheated on the results and therefore they should be run again. He refuses to accept that. He's treated the demonstrators with great savagery through his security police. There have been reports of torture and even killing of arrestees in in confinement. And so people are basically... Belarus is regarded as the last dictatorship in Europe, and I think that's an accurate description, unfortunately. Mm. And it's my understanding that um, there there are now calls for there to be a new vote there in Belarus. That's right, yes. I mean, the opposition has demanded that. And I don't think anything short of that will satisfy the discontent of people who simply want 
Lukashenko out. If you could have an election which was uh, certified as reliable and honest by outside observers, the people might accept the possibility that Lukashenko could be voted back into office. But since he's been in charge for 26 years or so, it's it's really too long for one man to be in charge in any country. Agreed. Okay, let's pivot to what's going on in Europe relation in relationship to COVID. We are experiencing some things here in the United States in relationship to that. The heartland is really beginning to experience a surge in COVID cases and we're beginning to experience some stress in some of our hospitals. What's going on in Europe in terms of COVID and maybe some new shutdowns there? Well, in uh, France, there's been a complete shutdown. In the UK, uh, they're talking about a temporary shutdown because the rise in COVID cases in the UK is really quite serious. Even in Ireland, there has been a shutdown of many different uh, facets of ordinary daily life. So Europe, uh, France, Germany, Spain, all have experienced a sharp rise of what's called the second surge of COVID in Europe. And I don't think there's any short-term solution other than trying to keep it at bay with measures of isolation of different communities. And then, David, um, before before we go today, let's talk about what's going on in Ethiopia. Um, first of all, we need a little, you know, geography reminder. Where are we talking about and then what's happening there that's of concern to us uh, today? Well, Ethiopia is on the Horn of Africa, and it's, as, as everybody knows, or most people know, it was ruled by Italy for several years when it was called Abyssinia. Um, It has an emperor who's in charge. It has a government that ostensibly is committed to democratic politics, but in fact there have been several cases of religious persecution there. And its neighbor, Eritrea, which was once part of Ethiopia, has complained for a long time about tensions between the two nations. So added to which there's a sort of serious uh, famine going on in Ethiopia. People are starving, and it desperately needs civic uh, humanitarian aid if it's going to survive. When you look back over, you know, your your life and the observations that you have made, not only, uh, you know, about the nation of which you are a citizen, but other nations around the world. And as you have watched the United States of America um, work herself through the 2020 election process um, and where we stand now, can you just give us maybe a hopeful word? Like, why does it matter to the world how America behaves and governs herself? Well, it matters incredibly because the United States is the only nation on earth that can forthrightly stand 
for human rights, especially rights, freedom of faith rights, anywhere in the world by advocating policy, implementing policies that make it difficult for dictators to operate. And so you've got, um, it's very interesting, places like Nigeria and India, you've got prayer groups praying for Donald Trump to win because they know that under a Biden presidency, the, the activism of the United States administration in curbing human rights abuses will probably decline compared with what it was in the Trump administration. So a lot is at stake, and foreign countries look to the United States for some kind of example of an orderly democratic process, uh, orderly political and constitutional process. So we have to hope that something comes out of the court cases that are going to the Supreme Court about alleged election fraud in different states. We certainly uh, we certainly want to um, be a city on a hill uh, in so far as God will allow us to be that. And it does um, it does seem as if we have um, we have not walked the path in recent months in a way that's you know worthy of others implement uh, of others you know following our lead in these things. And so I just wanted to hear you reflect um, on on those concerns and appreciate as always your joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thank you so much for having me on the program. Thank you, David. And I know you pray for us across the pond, so continue to do so. We appreciate it. Thank you. We've got to take one more brief break, and then we will wrap up this hour of Mornings with Carmen. When we think about how we're going to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus, um, we are talking about walking worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so I want to invite you to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 4 today and consider what it means to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called in Christ Jesus. What does it look like to walk worthy? Not to just be a Christian in, uh, in word and in baptism, but to be a Christian indeed. To walk our faith out into the world in ways that Jesus would recognize as reflective of his character. Everybody uh, in the world is walking around full of something. A lot of people are full of themselves. A lot of people are full of other stuff. You and I are, as Christians, called to be filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God, people in whom Christ dwells, um, full of those things that Jesus was full of. And what was Jesus full of? Well, John observes that Jesus comes as the one full of grace and full of truth. So what would it look like today to walk in a way worthy of the calling of Christ, worthy of being called a Christian? We tend to think of calling as like vocation, the things that we do. But your first calling is to Christ. We are called to him. 
And then we are called to joyfully submit to the active work of the Holy Spirit and bringing us into ever greater conformity with the character of Christ. And so if I'm going to walk worthy of the calling of being a Christian, I am going to be walking under a yoke um, that Jesus is the one not only carrying the greatest burden of, but directing my steps. And I want to highlight that today because I think there is great temptation, great temptation today for Christians to be aligned with agendas other than the express agenda of God in Jesus Christ. That is our calling. That is the king and the kingdom of whom we are ambassadors in this day. And yes, we're living it out in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. So spend some time in Ephesians um, 4 today and consider what it looks like for you to lead a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. I am walking with you in that as I am yoked to Christ and you are yoked to Christ. We are thus yoked to one another, and I am privileged to walk by faith with you today. Um, Not by sight, but walk by faith in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us exalt God today, and let us be the people that draw others into a conversation where God is the issue. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.